Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everyone, Noons here. Welcome along another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast. And this is the second part of our deep dive chat with Tickford Racing's Thomas Randall. Now, if you haven't heard part one, go back, do yourself a favour and have a listen. It sets the scene for what's about to follow in part two. Now, we pick up the chat for part two as Thomas has just ridden this wave of excitement in his first taste of Supercars Championship Racing in 2019. He's had a successful wildcard debut at the Bend and a really successful Enduro Cup campaign sharing with Lee Holdsworth that resulted in a podium finish at the Sandown 500 in Melbourne. With a Super 2 deal for 2020 to drive a Nissan for Matthew White's team in his back pocket, his world was about to change completely. So let's barrel in, buckle up, it's time to start part two. Thomas Randall on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. We know what happened with the world. We got to the Grand Prix and everyone looked at one another and went, we're going home. Uh, A little strange. But before, it was before the Grand Prix, wasn't it, that your world changed? So how did... And for those who might not know the story, plenty of our listeners will have been across the journey in the last couple of years, but you get diagnosed with testicular cancer. Like this is a really – I remember hearing this reading going, what? Like it doesn't seem like the sort of thing you would um, generally connect to a 20-something-year-old guy. You sort of think of these things as older bloke type issues. How did you first know – did you have an inkling something wasn't right? How did you find out all this? Well – Actually, if you wind back the clock to Newcastle 2019 when I was doing the Super 2 series, um, that was my last Super 2 round with Tickford. I think it was in practice. Um, I guess the way that the, the seatbelts are in our cars, they're a five-point harness. You've got the buckle that comes up between your legs, the two that come up through the sides, and then obviously the two over your shoulders. And uh, sometimes for us gentlemen or men drivers, uh, the belt may not be located in the correct position it, between your legs. It goes to a place where it's... Sore. Yeah, it goes to a place yeah. where it's sore. Yeah. And I remember in practice, yeah, that it was very sore. And I'm trying to hustle the streets in Newcastle and trying to loose my belt, you know, make it readjust. Readjust. And I'm in yeah, so yeah. much pain, like so much pain. Anyway, finished the session and like under the belts, I'm like, oh, like it's gone, you know. <laughs> but then a couple of days later, the pain sort of came back. And I thought, that's, that's not right. And then, uh, I thought, you know what, I'll just leave it for a bit because I guess every other thing health-wise for me up to that point in my life, whether it's a bruise or a cut or something, you you just think, I'll just leave it because I'm sure it'll get better. I Mm. thought maybe I just had a bit of of bruising downstairs and uh, that round I think was the last weekend in November and then at the end of the year or New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, I actually went over to see some friends in Adelaide and on my drive back, Still didn't feel right and I thought, you know what, stuff this, I've got to get this checked out. So when I went to get my CAMS medical or Motorsport Australia medical, I thought, you know what, at the same time, can you just have, a, have, a, have a feel basically, yeah. have yeah, a feel yeah. down there because, yeah, I don't know. You not know, quite right. Not quite right. Mm. And uh, at this point I, I, I hadn't really told anyone because I was, I don't know, I felt not really embarrassed or I don't know, just I guess – when it's it's not the sort of thing you go around. Yeah, you don't really go around everybody. saying, "Oh, you Jeez, know, my nuts are yeah. my nuts are sore or something." <laughs> so uh, anyway, I went to the went to see my GP and they had a bit of a, a feel around. I guess you could say violated me downstairs. Hey, you got to get to the you bottom got, of these. Got to get to the bottom of these things. And um, they said, "You know what? I think you need to go and get an ultrasound done." And I thought, "Okay." So that was when I told my parents. That was on. I think that was on a Monday that I went and got when I saw my GP. Went and got the ultrasound done on the Wednesday. And uh, as soon as I finished the ultrasound, oh, at the time I thought, you know what, it's just bruising. But you Google. You, you're thinking because of the belt thing. Correct. You go, geez, I've done myself yeah, a mischief here. Yeah. Not thinking you haven't flicked to, oh, my God, there's something really wrong with me. It's, 
I've squashed myself in the race yeah, car. It has um, to be that. Oh, geez, I've really done myself an injury. Well, I googled all the symptoms, and when you Google the symptoms, you get you get it. It's cancer. You know, it's like anything. I got a sore throat. You got cancer. So it took you googling it to think. Well, actually, might this might be a bit worse than what I think it is. Yeah. Well, I googled. You know, saw nuts, I guess, and I guess in the shower I sort of like felt it and I uh, just Googling and uh, it's thought, not right. Not There's right. No, and yeah, I, and yeah. then like I'm thinking the worst and mum and dad are like, like, nah, it'll just be a bit of bruising, you know. Anyway, did the ultrasound and and they, they come out, the, um, the specialist says, you need to go back to see your GP immediately. And I'm like, yeah, right. I said, well, we've actually got an appointment with them in, the, in a couple of hours. They said, no, you need to go now. I said, mm. okay. Drove back to see my GP and that's when they said, we think you've actually got um, a type of cancer. Uh, I think it was a seminoma, they said, and and that was when it just hit me. And I thought, mm. oh, my God, you know, and I don't really know how I can describe what it's like to be looked in the eye by a doctor and to say you've got cancer. Um, and at that point, I guess everything was rushing through my head, my career. I mean, at that point, I just finished with the season, getting the third at Sandown, um, we actually did an S5000 round at um, at the Ben, which I, I think you were yeah, commentating, yeah. so yeah. that went quite well. And looking forward to 2020, wanting to win the championship, tr- to try and get a career in supercars, and I thought that, that that could all be gone. You know, I mean, I was thinking the worst, and at the time, well, I look back on it now and I think I, I definitely overreacted, but it's kind of normal and natural for anyone to mm. think the worst. So it was all, yeah, everything all happened pretty quickly there. Um, then I had to do some scans, blood tests. I actually spoke to Rusty. He got me under his GP as well, went and saw him, more blood tests. And anyway, within a week I had the operation to remove the, the nut, I guess, or testicle. Testicle. <laughs> the so official word. So, so many, many words, words to choose from. To choose here, from. Um, so at that point that was, I think that was about the 11th of January that I had the operation. So, so th- from... New Year's Day, you said driving back from Adelaide. Yeah. To 11th of January in hospital to get one of them taken out. Correct. This has escalated very quickly. Very this quickly. Is, this isn't just a, we've got time to stop and really ponder all this. This is a, we're on it now. And I knew at that point, the first round in Adelaide was, well, it always used to be like the last weekend of February. So I'm thinking, shit, I haven't got much time. Anyway, racing wasn't at that point. It was like, okay, let's just see what happens because with the ultrasound, it's more a guess rather than, you know, knowing. When in other parts of your body, they can actually do like a needle biopsy, but they can't do it in that area. So mm. they actually have to remove it. Then they do a histopathology on it. And uh, it wasn't, I think it was two days later, I was actually doing some work with Carl Reindler um, on the other side of the city and I got a phone call to say, actually, this is spread further than we first thought. Um it's actually so spread. We, we, we've got that out. Got that out, and we've but. well, we've got that out. We've basically cut it open, mm. and in the middle is where the blood vessel is. And uh, they said it actually had got that far into the blood vessel. And there's two types of testicular cancer. There's one called a seminoma, and one called a non-seminoma. And the way that they're diagnosed, the way that you check for them, the way that they're treated are very different. And the non-seminoma is a more aggressive type, which is what I had. And they said that it's actually spread to the blood vessel, which means very high chance you're going to have to do chemotherapy to nuke this thing mm. and uh, and get rid of it. So at that point, it, it's all happening. Mm. And I'm thinking, bloody hell, like, you know, <laughs> that's probably the last thing I ever wanted to imagine having to do, especially at my age. I think I was 23 at the time. And uh, I said to my um, specialist or my doctor, I had to get onto an oncologist at that point because – you know, you're dealing with with a cancer. Mm. Um, so I said, look, can we delay it until... I've got Adelaide. Yeah, I'm I've got busy. Adelaide, basically. I've got a mission to drive. Yeah, and they Come said, on. they said, yeah, okay, we'll start the Monday after Adelaide, chemo. So anyway, heading over to um, to Adelaide, we think we had the super test at, at Tail and Bend in the supercar as well. I did a couple of test days in the Nissan. I actually had to wear a box... I modified a box to like, wear. Like a cricket Like protector. a cricket protector, yeah. yeah, and which was actually really good because at that point, I mean, I'd only just had the operation in early, you know, mid, early mid-January, so everything was very tender. I couldn't walk for like three weeks. Um, and, you know, the support I had from everyone was amazing. Tickford actually sent me through like a box of like chocolate flowers, which was really nice. Uh, Brad Jones at the time, you know, he was really supportive and, uh, you know, he said, yep, like, 
You'll still be co-driving with. Well, remember, you know, BJR have had their own history and story with with JR, so they've sort of been down this pathway. They know what this feels like. Absolutely. And, you know, Jason was a big inspiration for me and and especially during that period because he actually was winning Super 2 races or Dunlop Series races Mm -hmm. or... Fujitsu races at the it's time. Fujitsu, yeah, that's how long ago it was. Yeah, yeah. W- when he was actually on chemotherapy yeah. and he was crook, very mm. crook at the time and, and still won races. So at the time I thought, you know what, whatever condition I'm in, I just want to go and race. Um, so anyway, we headed across to Adelaide and we got some more blood tests done just before Adelaide and they actually said, look, we're going to actually pause or delay the chemo we'll just do a couple more blood tests beforehand so i headed to adelaide originally thinking i was going to start on the monday but we delayed it but but adelaide was such an amazing weekend you know we managed to get pole position by i think it was four thousandths over Brody, and we came away with a win and second for the weekend and could you do, do that weekend parking the other stuff i pretty it, much did yeah yeah i pretty much parked it yeah I, I didn't think about it once it wasn't until the weekend was over that that's when it all started coming back um but it was nice to just think about racing and i mean racing was my therapy and um exactly what it was yeah, for JR. yeah same thing so we uh we then were thinking okay the camera's going to start soon but it actually got delayed quite a bit um because we were still tracking my tumor markers with my blood tests i was getting blood tests every week and uh, got, I think I was getting scans fairly regularly at that point, CT scans. And then we actually changed oncologists. So then I went and saw an oncologist at Peter Mac. And that was like an amazing experience to be dealing with the team at Peter Mac. And at the time, there was actually another operation that existed to remove, um, it's called lymph nodes. They're like filters in your mm. blood system. And when I went public with my story, a driver over in Europe actually reached out to me and said, hey, mate, I actually had a very similar thing and uh, I had this procedure done. And I thought, okay. So um, I got onto the, some doctors or his oncologist and his surgeon over in the over at the NHS in the UK, tried to find out a bit more about mm. this. And it turned out that we actually have that um, robotic procedure and that equipment here in, in Melbourne. And so, when you said Peter Mac, for those who are not maybe, I mean, we're Melbourne guys in Victoria, so the Peter McCallum Cancer, Cancer Centre here in Melbourne, when Peter Mac is what everyone calls it yeah. over this side of Australia, but that's what you're talking about when you Correct. when you reference that. So it's, it's a significantly important place for fighting this stuff. I mean, it's, it's the best in the country. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the building is, I think it's 13 storeys high and the last seven storeys are purely research levels so they're constantly trying to find ways how to whether it's not even just beating a cancer but the way that they treat someone so they have a better outcome or less side effects all those sorts of things it's a constant battle to try and work it out and and you know cancer is so unique because there's so many different types so many different ways to treat them and and i'm very lucky that the type that i had was as treatable and as curable as it was at this point actually covid hit Supercars Championship stopped, E-Series began. So is there a little part of you here that's going, Maybe this, this is, is actually... the best global pandemic we could have ever <laughs> yeah. had because here Perfectly I am timed. dealing with my own stuff and going to be maybe parked up and everyone else is parked up. But there, I guess there comes complications with that, um, you know, dealing in the medical world and having to have treatment during COVID, difficult, different elements added to it than the normal. But which side were you, was the race driver and you taking over the brain? Oh, 100%. Thinking, oh, yeah. I'm not losing any points here. This is not so bad. Well, 100% not wrong because before that, it was still a six-round championship and it was going to be a busy year. I'm trying to – I was trying to with my oncologist, okay, well, if we do start the treatment here, can we do this? And they said, no, no, no. Once you start, be there. Once you start it, you have to follow it. It's kind of like – So were you set to miss a round or two or you were sort of – it, the way it was looking, it was you touch were gonna, and go. Yeah. It was very touch and yeah. go. And and the other part of that is not only the scheduling for the chemo. It was well, how am I going to feel after chemo? Because one thing to have it, one thing to have that, the treatment. Yeah, another yeah. thing, how you how you pull up. And um, anyway, COVID hit, which was obviously horrible for for the whole world. Um, but I actually, I got out of Victoria. Um, well, we had the there was a round. The first round back, Supercars did that first SMP round. Which we commentated, Garth Tanner and I, Correct. from Melbourne yeah. in the 
Fox footy um, booth. Booth, yeah. And it wasn't supposed to be me. It was supposed to be oh Chad. Chad, and Nalon. He, I think his wife. Chad's wife was exposed. Her workplace That's had right. a COVID exposure. So uh, last minute motors. Chad parked. You're in. back. Uh, Tanner and I calling off the screen in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I think you did both rounds because there was there was a fir- there was one round they did, and then everyone went back to Melbourne, and then Victoria got shut off to everyone, and every the, team got out. I remember the next week was the one where they went right uh, masks everywhere. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and we it's all a bit go, of a blur. Yeah. That. But yeah, well, I, I did that one, but that was the return. So that was your round two. That was our round two. Um, so at this point, I still hadn't had any treatment. Um, still being looked after, like you know. Blood tests, scans, all that stuff. I actually did a blood test on the Thursday of that round. I had to go into Sydney and get a blood test. And um, anyway, we, we won that round. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to make my way back to Melbourne slowly because COVID's in Melbourne. I don't have, like, I can do, at that point I was still doing uni, so I can do uni online. Um, my sim business is not going to have any clients because I can't. No one can come. I thought, yep. you know what, I'll just come back to Melbourne slowly. And uh, anyway... I spent about a week down going down the central coast and then I thought, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't go back to Victoria because Might I think not if be I able go to get back out. Correct. Yeah. So at that point I had my car, I had some stuff with me, and I actually rang up my good mate of mine, Dave McAdam. So they ran, as I said, Liam, his son, ran with us in Formula Ford in twenty fourteen and we've known them for so many years. And I said, Hey, uh, how do you feel about Having me at your house for a few months. A few months. <laughs> well, until it settles down. And he said, yeah, no worries. Come stay with me. So moved up to, to his place in, in Queensland, just out of Brisbane. And it was, a, it was a case of, well, if COVID ends, I'll just go back to Melbourne because there's no point. But it, it, I guess it never ended. So I stayed up there, was getting CT scans up there. And it was actually just before Bathurst that I got a phone call to say, when you get back to Melbourne, we're going to have to take some action because this is not getting any better um, and you're going to have to – we're going to have to do this operation. They gave me two options. They said either we do chemo first, but the way that the chemo treatment was going to be was there's – essentially there were three drugs and if I did the chemo first, I'd have to have the three drugs and one of them is actually really hard on your lungs and they said or else we do the surgery. It was called – it's called RPLND, which is robotic – well, retroperitoneal lymph node dissection, where they literally remove your lymph nodes. The old-fashioned way of that was um, all your lymph nodes are actually behind all your organs, so you got, they got to basically pull everything out to go in. To, to get go it. in, and I'm freaking out of that thought, but we managed to do it robotically. Anyway, so before Bathurst, I knew the moment I get back to Melbourne, I'm in. I'm mm. in to get my surgery done. So Bathurst was a nice weekend to not think about that. Unfortunately. We didn't have a very good weekend, Nick and I. I think we finished about 18 laps down, had uh, plenty of mechanical gremlins. Uh, but anyway. But the Super 2 side of it. Super though. 2 side. We uh, we won the round and we actually didn't know if that was going to be the last round. Mm. So um, it was a case of I get, went back to Melbourne, did another scam, a form operation. I was leading the Super 2 title. Uh, didn't know whether they were talking about maybe doing a one-off round somewhere. They were talking about trying to do a one-off round at Sydney Motorsport That's Park right. to finish off the year, even as a standalone. Yeah, yeah. As a, a totally Super 2 unique because there was a bit of a question, is three rounds enough yeah. to be officially a series? Because there was no Super 3 champion that year because they only got two rounds. Correct, in. correct. So uh, you, you're you on top of the points but you're not the champion because we might have another round. And by yeah. the way, you've got all this other stuff going on. Hell of a year. Hell of, Hell a, of year. a year. Hell of a year. And, I actually, and have you somewhere along the line, how are you dealing with all this? Because I can't only imagine at some cases there's the racing stuff to keep you engaged and entertained and your brain power on that. But there's other times that there's not all of that. So did you ever waver to the point of I'm in really big trouble here, this is just too much, and you're doing all this away from home again. So you, you've been racing overseas in Europe. You've been away for a time. Now you're going through this challenging period of life and you're not home again. You, yeah. you, I mean, you're not as far away, but you may as well have been for the way mm. of COVID at the world at that time in Australia. It's hard to – I think at the time, Aaron, um, 
everything was just happening. So I probably didn't get a chance to really process what I was going through. And I mean, the people I was staying with, like Dave's so lovely and they gave me so much support. And obviously my parents are calling them nearly every day. And I think just the thought of racing stuff. I mean, we actually did a, there was a, the supercar ran at tail and bend. They had, they invented this Aussie tin top category and it I was raced, kind of a it was just a mix of whatever whatever you've got yeah. and the beauty was because I was in Queensland I could do that race because yeah. it was an easy flight there was no issues with COVID and I ran Rusty's Bentley my dad prepared it at Rusty's factory um, he couldn't come because of COVID so he put it on a tow truck and I raced it we won the we won the weekend and uh, that was that was cool just to do more miles um, I actually got a dog. When I was in Queensland, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, a dog. Yeah, yeah, and that, to be honest, that was that was probably one of the best things for my, well, my mental health, um, and my well-being because trying to raise him, I actually had to pick him up from the border. At uh, there's a, a Macca's in Gold Coast. I think it's the Pines Shopping Centre. It's mm. literally on the border of Gold Coast, yep. New South Wales. Met it. It was like a bloody drug deal, you know, <laughs> getting a puppy out of the back of someone's van, <laughs> handing over the money, like here you go. Um, but that was that was just so cool having him in my life, and you know he's he's just so fun to be around. And he came back with me on the road trip back from Queensland to Albury for a week before we did Bathurst. And at that point, you could basically travel from north to south. You could go from Queensland to New South Wales. You couldn't go to New South Wales to Queensland. Then you could go to New South Wales to Victoria, but not the other way around. So for me, drove to Albury, stayed with some family friends, did Bathurst, and then drove back to Melbourne. So having him around was amazing. Um, but, yeah, there was so much going on, as you said. Didn't know if we were going to win the title because didn't know if there was going to be another race. Then we had the I had the operation. But then if there is another race, oh, can well, I even do yeah, it? Do I, can I do yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we, we had, the opera- oh, had the operation on the s- mid-November. Um, it was about a seven-hour operation. I spent the first night in ICU and, and that was during COVID. So... I couldn't even have my my parents were allowed to be there for two hours, and the rest of the time I had to be on my own. So I was in hospital. I think I was in hospital for four, three or four days. Um, you know, you go in feeling great, and then you get put to sleep from the anest- or from the general anaesthetic, and you wake up not feeling so great. And uh, anyway, I'm in my um, my hospital bed or room. And two days later, my oncologist comes in. He said, uh, "Bad news is that we found." active cancer so you're gonna have to do chemo and at that point that was kind of the last thing i wanted to hear Mm. because i thought surely like we've done all this we've gone through all this trouble two operations you know like i've been through the wars at that point and you feel like you're just about to dip over the finish line and you know the the sprinter getting to the line just leans forward oh we're there and then just get yeah you've been just pulled back to the start line nearly yeah so that was pretty hard to take and I guess I was on so many drugs at that point anyway that I, I think my care level was not that high because I was on Endone, Tramadol, all the different drugs. You were flying that, high. I, I was flying high. <laughs> um, anyway, so we basically said, all right, how soon after this operation can I start the chemo? Because the sooner I start it, the sooner I finish it. And um, anyway, they said, all right, well, we could probably start it three weeks after your treatment. And actually at this point, during between that three weeks, that's when I was actually awarded the Super 2 title. <laughs> and um, we did a photo um, op at Maddie White with um, Kevin from Dunlop and and, uh, and I think there was a representative from Supercars. I can't really remember. There was so much going on. But I, um, they actually, Maddie, I don't know if Maddie knew that I'd had the operation at that point because uh, I was quite bandaged up under my uh, Sky Sands T-shirt, receiving the award, you know, can hardly walk. And uh, I found out the news at, at my dad's work. Dad and I were having a cup of tea and it was like, oh, Super 2 champion. How cool is that? Only so, X amount of months after yeah, it. Yeah. So there was no there was no night out or anything. Um, but then, yeah, so it was the, I think it was the 4th of December started my chemo. And uh, that was uh, that was quite a uh, – it's hard to describe that period. I mean, think of any any side effects and just double or times it by about a hundred you know I think they listed about five ten minutes worth of side effects that I'd get from the chemo they basically said if, it's if a long list a long list they said if you feel this that's normal and they gave me a, a hospital card and they said if you have got a temperature for over 30 minutes you got to go to the ER because that's last, no good no good no and good. um 
I started the chemo on the Monday. That that weekend just gone was actually the Bahrain Grand Prix that um, I think uh, George Russell drove the Mercedes in. Oh, when he filled in for Lewis. Correct. Yeah. And uh, I was actually speaking to Jack Aiken, who I'm quite good friends with, and he did that race in the he Williams. Drove for the Williams to replace, to Russell. replace Russell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he called me actually on the Saturday right before qualifying and we chatted for like 20 minutes. I said, mate, shouldn't you be getting ready for your quality? He's like, he's like that's all right. So we had a bit of a chat and and uh, I messaged him that morning on the Monday. I said, look, I'm just going in to start my treatment. I'm going to watch the race because I wanted to have something to do mm. while starting this horrible treatment. And he said, look, let me just give you a hint. It was an exciting race, not from my side of things. I thought, okay. That turned out, you know, he caused a safety car and it just led to all chaos. And um, I think that was, was that the race Perez won? I think, was that the one that Perez won? Or did it, he, oh, I can't remember now. I can't remember. There was so many. Was it when there were two weekends in a row in Bahrain? Correct. I think that, that was, was the, the first, short track. That was the first weekend and Perez won the next weekend. Yeah, I can't remember. That was the short The layout, one that Russell could have won, should have won. Yeah, didn't that win. was the one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, anyway, so we started the treatment. Um, Isn't it funny how when you're in motorsport. Yeah. You set all the things that happen in your life, and we're talking big ticket shit in your life here. By what's happening in this Grand Prix, and that's the one that this happened, and it's sort of scary, is how oh. sad we are right into this motorsport paper I know. that we judge our life markers by what's <laughs> happening Grand in Prix. Formula One, or oh, that's the race in supercars that you know Randall did that, or uh, you know, it's it, isn't it funny? It, it's, oh yeah, it's it's just shows you how motorsport is so leached into everything that we do and all our thoughts and how well world revolves it's it's connected to all of those things well those eventful races you re- i think you can remember where you are where you were at those times yeah, like totally. 2016 Adelaide 500 when Perkout won i was watching that in Bletchley in in um in the UK just outside of Milton Keynes with Lewis Leeds we got up early to watch it and we were like holy crap what a race like that was just <laughs> that just had everything that was kind of like 2014 Bathurst so um, but yeah the um, anyway back to the the treatment started that um, mum and dad were taking shifts next to me because they were only allowing one person in, had to wear a mask at all times, which was bloody frustrating. But the last thing you want is to get mm. COVID when you're pretty immunocompromised. And uh, we did the, I think it was about a six-week process. I was doing five days on, two weeks off. So each day was about six days worth of treatment. And then every night I had to actually give my, oh, whether it was my sister, my dad, or my mum, they had to give me a Clexane injection, which is like a blood thinner because your blood can get very thick on chemo. And the mm. last thing I needed was a blood clot. Yep. You, you need get to a blood clot. Flowing. Yeah, no good. You're out. No good. You can't race on blood thinners. That's a Motorsport Australia requirement. And I thought, well, I don't really want to not race for a year. So we did that. So I think I had that year, I think I counted, I had about 95 needles and injections. Um, anyway, finished the treatment on New Year's Day, 2021. <laughs> anniversary was, of. Anniversary of. The Adelaide Drive. Correct. Um, yeah, so that was probably the toughest period of my life. Um, I, I can't even describe how unfit I was and it's so hard to go from being, at that point I was at my peak physical fitness to I couldn't even throw my dog a ball. You know, mm. I couldn't even go for a. 100 meter run or a jog i was just there was so many side effects whether it was food tasting like metal hearing just like constant like tinnitus just ringing, ears, ringing, ringing in your ears yeah, yeah i had to wear earplugs all the time everything was so loud um you know vom- whether it was vomiting or nausea it's just yeah i don't want to put a downer on it for people oh, but, no, but it's real it's oh, yeah you wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy. Absolutely not. And I think the biggest thing that was an eye-opener for me was every day when I went in for treatment, the place was full. Mm. Every chemo chair was full. Mm. And I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones that I was getting treated knowing, okay, you do this, your chances of it coming back are basically 1%. If I hadn't done the treatment, it was about 50% and I would have had to do the whole three different drugs. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was very lucky in that that I knew that okay, if I do this, I kind of can put it in the rear vision mirror, and that's why if I hadn't done the treatment, I'd just be um and ahhing. All right, I got to, I'd have to do more surveillance, more blood tests, more scans. It'd be just never ending. It, just get on it. Just do it. Get out of the way. And for people that are going through you know much worse battles than me, doing chemo that it might not even work. 
I, yeah, like I said, I I feel for those people because I was so lucky knowing that um, it was going to, I guess, cure me um, even though, you know, as I say, no pain, no gain mm. and you have to kill a lot of good cells to get rid of the bad ones but fortunately um, all the good ones come back and, uh, you know, had no hair at the time but, um, you know, my dad actually shaved his head off for me as well so we both, he shaved my head, I shaved his and that was cool that he was sort of supporting me with that because I was literally waking up and there were just clumps of hair mm. on my pillow. I was pulling hair out like um, like it was just a wig and, um yeah, it's um, pretty uh, crazy to look back on that back on that period. You know, that was just over two years ago now, and at the time, it felt like the days were going by so slow. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. When did you know? When was the we're good? Uh, the all good was the first blood test after that um, and, the, and the first scan. You know, they basically said there's nothing here and uh, your two markers are fine. So that was such a relief and... That was the first time I left the building and I said to mum and dad, this is the first time I'm leaving Peter Mac feeling better than when I arrived. Because mm. every time I went there, the around. I'd feel like absolute shit. Mm. And uh, when I finished my first round of chemo, I, I couldn't even leave the building because I, I was just so out of it. Um, yeah, but like I said, I, I still feel pretty privileged. And at that point, my fitness level was non-existent. Um, I think I yeah, finished on the 1st of January. And uh, we were actually trying to get – I just want to get back in a race car. Mm. Even though I couldn't even move my arms at that point, I was so weak. I thought, well, surely my fitness will come back. And I just wanted to prove everyone that I could still do it because I guess at that point, through the whole chemo period, I, I did not publish anything on social media. I wanted to just get it done, know that I'd finished, and then let people know, okay, I want to close this chapter because mm. I had told everyone when I was diagnosed – I just wanted people to know that, okay, it's finished. Um, and I think a big part about being going public for me was for other people, other guys to get checked. Mm. And it's crazy that I've actually been on the other fence of it now, on the other side of other people that have messaged me saying, I've just been diagnosed, what should I do? Which I'd never think I'd be on that side. Uh, I was going to say you become, you become the poster boy for yeah, it in a way, yeah. whether you like it or not. So and and you've embraced it. You, you've 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 spoken about it before. This is certainly not the, the first time you have, but this is probably the the most in depth you have in in quite some time. But you can go two ways on this thing. I get it too because I know other people who've had cancer issues in the last few years who just want to deal with themselves. That they don't want people communicating. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to follow up on it. They don't want to. They don't want to be the poster boy or girl. Well, the last thing, sorry to interrupt, the last thing I wanted was I didn't want people to, I wasn't trying to cry out for support or, you know, I didn't, I wasn't asking for sympathy from people. I just wanted to let people be aware that, hey, I'm a 23-year-old, I've just been diagnosed with cancer mm. and I'm a professional driver, you know, I eat clean, I've never mm. done drugs, I've never smoked, mm. you know, if it can happen to me, it can, it can literally happen to anyone else. Mm. I wasn't in it for... Oh, please feel, yeah, like please, please feel sorry for me, all that stuff. Like I said, during the, the treatment and my operation, I did not post a thing. I didn't want to be that guy, oh, I'm in for chemo day two or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, I wasn't – I didn't want to do it for that. I wanted it to be there so people knew, okay, he can get it. Maybe I should just do a mm. monthly check or mm. not even for guys, for, for women mm. as well, that if something doesn't feel right, just go to your GP mm. because the lady you leave it, you know, the more chance that something can't do anything about it to help you. Yeah. yeah, and there's been drivers in in the past that have had testicular cancer. Dean Stoneman, he was a Red Bull junior driver. He was actually racing World Series 3.5, and he was diagnosed with testicular cancer stage four. They actually operated on him the day he was diagnosed. That's how bad he was. Just had to go, go and, straight away. And had to, and he's you know he's he's still alive today. And everyone knows about Lance Armstrong. Mm. Um, I've read his book, and aside from obviously what's what happened it's later in life? It's all about the bike, apparently. All about the bike. Um, to to uh, come back from that, 
there's been some big inspirations that um, helped me get through that. And obviously the support that I had from my family, my friends and my supporters at the time as well, you know, all my sponsors or those that have helped me in my career, they're like, you got this, you know, mm. and there's a lot of people I could thank now. I mean, even one of the, one of my biggest supporters from when I did my first wildcard, Angelo Turson. Uh, he was always he's always been in my corner since the first time we worked together. He's still in my race car now, and um, to have that support from them because so many things that run through your mind, Aaron, you think, oh well, maybe they're just going to dump me. Do you think you're going to be forgotten? I definitely thought that people were going to doubt my ability after that because it's probably only natural that oh well, he's just gone through a cancer diagnosis. He's had an opera two you know two operations. He's had chemo. Is he ever going to be the same? That that played on my mind at that time, and that's why I really wanted to get back in a race car and prove that no, I can still drive. What was the first day you got back in a car after you get the all clear? What was the? How long did it take? The first day was uh, the Simmons Plains round of S five thousand. It was a I think we raced Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It was uh, Australia Day race. Mm. And a week before, we were speaking to BR, Team BRM, Mark Rundle, uh, who ran the car for us. We said, look, at this point, I can't drive, but just take the car anyway if you can, if you've got the room, and uh, I'll see how I am, you know, a couple of days leading up to it. Anyway, on the Wednesday, oh, sorry, on the Saturday, we thought, you know what, stuff it, let's go over. If I can't get through practice, well, then we'll come home. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Give it a crack. I can't do it. At least we said we get we, we gave it a go and we'll try and do something later on when I'm feeling better. At this point, I hadn't even gone for a run, nothing. And uh, anyway, uh, Rusty said, right, like we'll, we'll fly over because we left it so late. So we flew over, um, did the practice, and I, I was pretty cooked. Like I think my heart rate got up to over 185 in, pra- in practice. I was like, oh. Thought each day, surely I'm going to improve. Anyway, qualifying. Somehow we managed to qualify on pole, <laughs> which was unbelievable. Me with my chrome dome, you know. <laughs> I look back at those photos and I was so pale. You know, I had no colour in me because I was just still so crook. Mm. Um, and then on Sunday, um, we managed to win the feature race. And that that's probably one of my highlight races of my career because, I mean, if I hadn't have gone through what I'd went through, for me that would just be, oh, that's a pretty cool win, you know. But for the backstory, the fact that I'd just gotten over cancer and done the chemo and I felt like that really solidified that, you know what, I can I can bloody drive. And uh, I think that let – at that point I'd signed with Tickford to do the Enduros again and, and um, try and do some wild cards. So that was like, hey, you know. Obviously, we're good. We're, we're good. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, no doubts there. And that just, if there were any doubters, that sort of shut them up. So that was that was such an amazing day. And then it flowed on. So then you go back to Tickford. You do some wild cards. You do Bathurst. You get the drive full time. You're going into year two now in the the, 50, the 55 Castrol <laughs> Ford Mustang. Castrol Racing. Castrol Racing. Oh, yeah, you got to get that stop right. Stop being so particular. <laughs> Uh, Yarn's going to listen to this. Yeah, I know. Castrol here. Castrol here. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's, a great, it's a great story. I mean, not, not all the stories have great outcomes, but this one, because you got onto it early, because you were active, because you um, went and followed through on it, we, we end up where we are today. Your hair's looking immaculate, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, you know, it actually grew back like, like baby hair because – it literally it's like starting all over again. It literally starts all over again. It was so fluffy. It was <laughs> so weird and it was curly. It's still got a little bit of curls. I always just have straight hair, but now it's like curly. But, but um, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Last year, let's talk last year because there's a bit going on. There were days where there was great pace, there was great potential. Quite often it didn't quite work your way. But do you feel that? Any other, you know, if we didn't have that issue in your world and you, you were just talking a, a nice steady progression through the ranks and you get into supercars, did you take it for granted or do you think you would have taken it for granted had you not gone through what you go through and now 
that you get to drive a race car 12 weekends a year, that you're, you know, having – you've got a platform to, to put your stuff out on there and to have people who take an interest in what you do. Not every 26-year-old is going to be able to stop and appreciate that at the moment, something they might do in 20 years' time when they're finished or when they're slowing down out of it. But you've got the ability to actually get a really good appreciation of what you've got going on because of what you stared down a couple of years ago. It's a pretty unique situation for anyone in this sort of level sport to be in. Well, it is. I mean, you go from trying to make a name for yourself to getting put right back to, okay, now I've got to have a whole different battle in my life to, well, stay alive. Mm. And I went from driving race cars a lot to uh, to not and to thinking, okay, well, this is this could be potentially career over to now actually being full-time in the championship. And it's very easy, Aaron, to become complacent at this level because you want to win. The competitive nature never goes and it's very easy to get caught up in the little things and, you know, it's only probably natural that we – uh, upset. Oh, you know, I, I dropped a tenth there, or you know, how can we find two tenths? You know, there's. You sort of can look back and go, right? You know, you're not a- appreciating where you are, but actually, I just want to be as fast as I can be, and whether that's in me, need me needing to be faster, or the car, or whatever it is, I feel like this opportunity is not going to come around again. So I want to grab it with both hands, and it may look like I don't appreciate it, but I can tell you I do, and. Uh, there's only 25 people that get to have this job. I'm very lucky that I, I, I have this job. And as I said to you a bit earlier, uh, I feel like I'm here on merit. I want to prove that. I felt like our first year was was good, wasn't good enough. Um, my performance could have definitely been better. I think overall we all could have been better as a collective, the team. But um, I learned a lot. And we had we did have some really good results, you know. Certainly qualifying, I felt, was quite a strong point for me. Oh, got stronger. We had a front row start. We have we had a fourth place start at AGP. We had like, I think we got in the shootout five or six times, the top 10 shootout. I think we had 11 or 12 top 10 starting positions. So I felt like that side of thing was really good. I think just trying to look after the tyre in the race was something I needed to improve on. Um, but... It's only going to get better as, as we go on. It's probably going to be harder now with the new cars. But in terms of the appreciation, I'd like to hope that I'm still appreciative because, yeah, it's um, as I said, it's not it's not something that everyone gets to do. Mm. Two things to me stand out for 2022. If we just went Thomas Randall 2022, what are the brain flash things that come in? Are they good things, Noonan? One of them is, well, no, two of them are. Alonso driving your car, yeah. that flashes into my mind straight away, and the bend. I mean, that's great qualifying. You're at the front, and then it all turns to crap. But they're the two things, if people pull out the highlight reels of Randall 2022 for the years to come, they're kind of the two things that people are going to pull out. So let's go with the Alonso thing. Yeah. Not every day that Childhood Hero drives your race car. That's cool. That is seriously Cool. Tell me about how it all came to be and how it all went because it's just doesn't happen every day. This stuff. Well, not only that, it was actually on my birthday as well that he drove my birthday, ca- and he wished me happy birthday oh. too. So um, <laughs> that was pretty incredible. To to begin with, I guess driving the Castrol car, Castrol Edge is also a big support or sponsor of the Alpine F1 team, and last year. Fernando Alonso was one of the drivers and I'd spoken to Jan from Castrol about, oh, you know, is there any chance of doing something with the F1 drivers? And, and you're uh, not quite thinking this though. No, Surely, no. Well, maybe a photo opportunity or a little just a meeting. get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met, him, I met him back in 2011. For I got an autograph off him. So I met him for five seconds. I said, oh, I drive your go-kart. And he said, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, but thanks, in terms thanks for of, buying yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for buying it. Give me a royalty or whatever it is. But to um, to end up having done what we did, I never thought that that would happen. But I actually knew um, one of the PR girls at Alpine because that was um, Jack Aiken. Oh, that is Jack Aiken's girlfriend uh, recently engaged, they are. Uh, her name's Alex. And uh, anyway, when I heard there was talk that we could maybe do something, I messaged her and I, as a bit of a joke. I was like, well, hey, 
we've got like this ride session on the Thursday night. Like, what do you reckon? Like, I take Alonzo for a hot lap or something, or you know. And she said, "Oh, that's actually like pretty cool. Let let me have a chat to them." So she uh, she must have spoken to the. I guess there's would be a consortium of PR people at Alpine, and they spoke to Alonzo's manager. He spoke to Fernando. Said, "Hell yeah, that'd be awesome." And that was the week before the Grand Prix. So normally these things are planned months in advance, especially if it involves actually driving a race car. Not like photo ops, are, I'm sure, can be organised sooner. But when you're looking at There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts, permissions and yeah, contractual things, and yeah, all those sorts of things, and whether it's it works for their timing, whatever. So I knew it was a long shot. Anyway, I spoke to Jan, I think, the next day, and he said, oh, seems like you you know someone at Alpine. I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, oh, well, there's now talks of trying to get Alonso in your supercar. And I said, no. Like, you're kidding. <laughs> oh, Academy Award Bruins <laughs> from you here. So um, <laughs> anyway, I think uh, that was it was on, then it was off, it was on, but literally it was a week. It was a week from when it happened to when we f- sort of first thought of the idea. Because at that time they were like, oh, you know, it might be a Zoom call. Like you'll be in the same area but you can't actually see him because of COVID, all this crap. And I thought, well, well, it doesn't like, okay. But um, anyway, ended up being that, uh, yeah, Castrol Global, Castrol Australia, Tickford, Alpine, they were all in like some form of group call and it, uh, it ended up eventuating. And I think the day before all the crew members of that car – Myself included had to get a COVID test because they wanted to make sure that hey you're going to be dealing with with uh, Formula mm. One, we don't want them to get COVID. Mm. So anyway, we all did the test, and I was worried for two reasons. I thought if I'm positive, I won't be able to race, and I also won't be able to meet Alonso. <laughs> so uh, thankfully, they all came back negative, and yeah, we did the uh, did the experience with Alonso. He had to drive the car; they wouldn't let him be passenger, which was a bit frustrating because I figured, well, I actually know this car. But uh, I can understand. So he took me for a hot lap. Uh, I think we did two or three laps and I was on the radio to him. Uh, there was so much media about it as well. Fox was covering it. Formula One was covering it. Uh, it was in some massive headlines. Um, you know, such great exposure for, for all the brands, for Tickford as well. And and it was an amazing experience. He even took his engineer for a hot lap and he gave us so much time. Alpine later in the weekend let me and Cam and my dad go into the garage for practice sessions. I was in there for the qualifying. Um, so it was a pretty amazing weekend. And to start it off with, yeah, Alonso driving our supercar was amazing. And then to follow up on that, I actually went over to the UK middle of the oh, in August to see Rob Wilson, world-famous or world-renowned driver trainer, and Jan said to me, oh, if you get a chance to pop in to see Alex, she's actually got something for you, but you've got to give it to me first. So, okay. So I went over and I caught up with Jack and Alex and they had this thing in like a roll. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. He said, no, you can't open it. So I brought it back, gave it to him. And then a couple of weeks later, he, uh, he gave me a signed, framed poster that Alonzo had signed to say, he actually said, thanks for letting me drive your car. I got a video of him signing it. And, um, yeah, like an amazing experience and for them to give me that as well. It was just like icing on the cake. That was a really good cake. Yeah. But that's a nice big slab of icing oh, right on the top. Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. That, where, where have you put it? It's actually at our work, Dream Simulation or Dream Motorsport Dream Simulation, along with um, a few other cool things. Are you a hoarder? Do you keep everything for oh. I love to talk to people about this on this podcast. Do you do you keep everything? Suits, helmets, knickknacks from your racing career or do you just whatever, wherever, I'll deal with it later? Um, I've got rid of a lot of go-karting trophies. Well, I've kept a few of like the big ones, big titles, but in terms of like club days, all, you know, all that's gone. Um, some of my – I don't remember where some of my suits have gone. I actually auctioned off one of my Bottolo suits – so the Red Cross for the that was during the bushfires mm-hmm. in Australia at the start of twenty or the end of twenty nineteen, um, but yeah, things like that I'll, I'll keep forever. I mean, that was Alonso's first experience in a supercar. He's driven so many other types of cars. He's done Le Mans, done Indy five hundred, you know, two time Formula One world champion, and then to get him in a supercar for the first time in our car, yeah, it's a pretty amazing moment. <laughs> it's very cool because it's it's what. The most cool part of it is seeing 
you talk about it pretty much a year on yeah. and you still yeah. – it's like you've just walked away from Alonzo driving your car five seconds ago. You've still got uh, that many beans about oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell me too about the the other side of things. Later in the year, the band, lots of publicity around that one. The the big start line crash with, with Andre Heimgartner, you kind of become brothers by incident out of all of that one. But talk me through – because I know there's a lot of our listeners who remember the vision, saw it, the aftermath, the swap of cars, the all the things that were going on. But now that you rewind back, it's one of those things that you can't – and everyone's got these in their career – where oh, do they have to play that one again yeah. when we go to the band? Oh, do they have to play that one again the next time there's a start line crash of some description? You've kind of you've got to go with it because you're not going to avoid it. The reality is that it's going to keep on getting rolled out like Fabian's rollover did. Carl like Reinler's Carl Reinler's one in Perth. Every time there's a round in Perth, yeah. because that gets my commentary back out and about there from ten years ago, Surely twelve years ago. Uh, I don't think that that's going to happen just quietly, <laughs> but. There's go-tos, and for the band, that's going to be a go-to in in the future moving forward, whether you whether it's kind of like it or not. It, it will be. That's the nature of, of media. But take me back to it. How did it all go down? Aftermath? Because there were so many elements to that whole thing. Well, that was my best qualifying at that point, front row with Cam. That was Tickford's first front row lockout since 2016. So very cool moment for the team. Great moment for me, and I was really looking forward to it. I thought, you know what, if I just get off the line well and can have a solid few laps, could get a podium here, my first solo podium. Unfortunately, Aaron, it didn't quite go that way. No. Um, rolled up to the grid. You're sitting on the grid for a long time, you know, put in neutral, but when you're on the front row, it, it feels like a lifetime before the last car rolls up. And uh, anyway, get the green flag over the radio from Raymond, and then... Red light, oh, five-second board comes on. All right, put the clutch in, grab the first gear, find the bite point where the engine revs just start to just drop off from, you know, 7.5. Then I remember the car just wanted to move forward a bit, so I thought, okay, I'll just put the clutch down a bit further. And uh, the lights felt like they'd been on for an eternity, and then the car just wanted to keep grabbing. And I thought, okay. So then I put my foot all the way down to the floor. And on the clutch. On the clutch. And, uh, and then it stalled. and actually stalled before the lights went out at that point. It's one of a driver's worst nightmare from either stuck throttle, no brakes, steering failure, to start line stall on the front row when you've got 23 other cars behind you. Um, I actually put my hands up in the air like open binocular, open wheeler. It was you your know? open wheeler yeah, experience. I, like, I remember you saying about this. No yeah. one's actually going to see that. So then I braced myself. Like you crossed your hands across, across hands. your... Yep. I put my head back in the seat. I actually first looked in the mirror and I thought, I don't actually want to look in the mirror. As in the, the mid-mirror on top of the windscreen rather than mirror. out the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw the cars coming and I thought, you know what, I don't want to look anymore because I just had this feeling that someone was going to hit me. So yeah, braced myself, put my head back in the seat and then it wasn't long after that that I just remembered the biggest whack that I've ever copped and the noise, Aaron, it was so loud and uh, I think it was 43 Gs was the impact. <sighs> I mean, you have, I had a car that hit me at basically full throttle, 125 Ks an hour was the the, the impact speed and uh, I then actually went into another concrete wall on the main straight so it actually did a bit of damage on the front left because I didn't just get a cop, I didn't just cop a hit from the rear, I also hit the concrete wall on the left and I just had to take a minute and think, holy crap, that was huge. And then you just start thinking about, apart from the pain, I've just blown this race. And then I'm thinking, what you know, what are people going to think about this? And I knew that I'm not going out for race, race three. Like, that car would be toast. I got out eventually. Dr. Carly came over and, like, said, right, you got to get out, you got to get out. And I said, look, just, like, just give me a sec. Mm. Anyway, I got out and, uh, and I saw Andre. I didn't know who hit me at the time. But then I saw it was Andre and I saw that he was walking, albeit very winded. But thankfully, every driver, the drivers were okay. And we actually were in the medical centre together. He was complaining of some chest pain. I had some foot pain. And then we both went in an ambulance together to the Royal Adelaide to get some scans done. And it, thankfully, we were both okay. It's one of those ones that's going to be replayed. I know, for a long sadly. Time to come. Yeah. That, that car is returned. It's been, it, like, it wasn't a total junker, it, it's been rebuilt. Has been rebuilt. I didn't. I don't think. I can't remember if I raced it again or if JC raced it. 
somewhere. I, th- th- the last four rounds was like a tick for musical chairs. Yeah. I, I can't remember which was which. It was so, in, out, in, out. In, out. Yeah, swap in, cars. Out. Yeah, it was, there was a bit of that going on. There was a bit of that going on. Uh, quickly, 2023, new era, reset, refresh, new cars, everything. Plenty of other stuff going on and that's not really our place on this podcast to go into and it never has been. But what I really want to – what I'm really interested in, four guys at Tickford Racing, there's one guy who's the clear benchmark, Cam Tom Williams. Rant. Oh. Tom. <laughs> well, hey, I don't know if Cam's <laughs> any good at piano but you are the benchmark pianist oh, thank at you. Tickford thank Racing. You. But no, in all seriousness, he's been a runner-up twice. He's, he's been on the podium at Bathurst plenty of times. He's He is the Tickford guy. For you this year, what's your aim? Is it to be able to be the next best Tickford guy, to be on level terms with Cam? What's your marker of success this year internally? You know, it's one thing to be saying, I'm going to finish in the top X of the championship or I'd like to score this many top tens or this many podiums. But you've got to the, the measuring stick you've always got is internally. He's your measuring stick and has been at that place for a few years now. Is that the way you're looking at it this year? You want to be closer to him because he's your best benchmark. That's looking at it from the outside. That's where I'd feel like that's what I'd be doing. What are you? What are you thinking? I mean, I guess deep down you want to be the best in the team. Um, yeah, he's he's clearly been the benchmark and the standout in the team. I mean, he's been there since 2016. That was his first year. So I think this is his what's this? His eighth season in supercars. So. He'll, he's he's going to be looking at trying to win the title. You know, he's, he, as you said, he's been runner-up twice. And I think if if we can match him or if I can match him in terms of whether it's qualifying performances or, you know, racing, that would be a huge step for me because last year was – I felt like our qualifying performances got a lot better throughout the year and by, by Adelaide, him and I were sort of trading places up until my crash, unfortunately, in, in, in the last practice session. But – you know, we were sort of uh, right up there. I mean, front row at tail and bend with him, stuff like that. So, and and Gold Coast, we had some good qualifyings there. I was very close with him in in the shootouts. Oh, sorry, in the qualifying sessions. So, I'd like to continue down that trajectory. I think in the shootouts, I'd like to push more. I felt like last year, I just wanted to. Well, certainly the early ones that I did, I just wanted to get through them, do a solid job, not put it too much on the line and uh, sometimes it actually works like at the Gold Coast no curb strikes helps but for those sort of shootouts I want to just go out there and actually put it all on the line I feel like I've proven that I can be in those shootouts and then for the races yeah it'd be nice to be up there with him and I guess also that's that's good for the team because if you're up there with him you're not just pushing Cam you're pushing the team because you you're helping the cars go faster get better results. So all in all, the higher up all the drivers are, the better it's going to be for the progression of the team. Makes sense to me. What also makes sense to me is the National Motor Racing Museum Catch Racer questions where uh, we get fans to write in questions. And I reckon you've had a little little look at these. I reckon you logged on Facebook last week. I definitely looked at one of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. I'm (laughs) sure you did. Uh, We'll zip through it quick because we've had a a big long chat. We really appreciate your time. Uh, David Widom, um, in regards to, to the cancer stuff, what's your advice to young men about getting checked out? I guess it just goes back to if you feel like something's not right, don't leave it till it's too late I would just go and get it checked because what's the worst that can happen you know well the best thing could be no it's okay you know we've checked you we've done the blood test whatever it may be men are known for doing the old you know she'll be right I'll just press on harden up all that sort of things and it's not really like that I mean as I said I'm a pretty fit guy and I got cancer so I would um, highly recommend that even if you're just checking for testicular cancer, you should do a monthly check and um, you can do it yourself, self-check in the shower. Just have a feel down there, boys. And that's all it, it is. If it doesn't feel good, I'd go and get it checked out. But um, that's really my advice. Corey State, Corey's a regular for asking questions about food. What do you have for breakfast on a race day, he wants to know? I have bacon and eggs and a bit of avocado, a bit of spinach. Normally... Trudy, Tim's wife, Trudy, and uh, Mandy, um, they're the, we call them the Tickford mums, so they do our <laughs> catering. It's like it's like a home away from home, really, and they make these amazing wraps, and I always just say, how good are these wraps, you know? And 
Tim's normally there um, cooking the bacon on the barbie in the mornings, and he actually cooks a mean steak and a good salmon uh, for dinner as well. Things we didn't know about yeah. Tim Edwards. We learned something new on this podcast yeah, Tim's, all the time. Tim gets all the, the apron on in the morning and at, at night, but the, the wraps are good. Um, they also do like little granola cups, but, I mean, it's important to eat well. You're never going to leave Tickford because they feed you well. Absolutely. That's probably the way. Saren Thatch, he's a regular listener. How did the dream simulation business come to be? He'd love to give it a crack one day, but how did the sim stuff come to be? So, Saren, um, the idea for me and the, well, the inspiration, if you like, came from when I was living in the UK, and it's quite a big thing over there of, of doing driver training on simulators where a race car driver or punter goes in says, all right, I want this car, this track, I want to practice. I've got the data, live telemetry. How can I be better on this circuit before I get there? Because there is such limited running. And uh, I've always loved simulators. I've always been involved in a simulator in some way. My first simulator, I think, was in 2011 or 2012, before iRacing existed. And, uh, yeah, that was, I think, R-Factor was the game we were playing then. And, um, and yeah, now I, I, I use a few different platforms. I've got... A team of simulator or team of modders here in Australia that help me with stuff. ASR is their, is their group that they go by. I've got some some guys overseas that contract to me to help build, modify tracks, car physics, whatever it might be. Because I feel like if the car or the track's not right, there's really no point. So uh, it's really good. We've got the two simulators, the tin top supercar style and an open wheeler S5000, F3, F2 style or F1 style sim. And uh, I get a lot of enjoyment out of seeing people progress, seeing people enjoy it, have fun, and I just try and tie it in as much as I can with my uh, main commitments with the supercars. Do you get other teams, other drivers coming to you from other categories to do this? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't really get or want other supercar drivers from other teams in my level, mm. but Super 2 drivers, yep, get them from other teams, Super 3, Toyota 86, Aussie racing cars, XLs, yeah, all sorts, yeah. S5000 guys. Um, yeah, it's quite a unique mix of people in the racing scene and, like I said, even just general punters that never want to have a go. Have, want to have a go. Yeah. They, they actually get such a greater appreciation for the cars and the sport because I'm sure as an armchair expert, it's very easy to say, oh, I could do that, but put you on the sim, no ABS, no traction control, try and drive a 650 horsepower V8 with very – Narrow tires, and uh, let's see how you go around Bathurst. Good luck. <clears throat> Good luck. Question from Sven Burkhart, who I believe is co owner <clears throat> of Tickford Racing. Is, yeah. Who's your favourite, me or Rod? Uh, oh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 let's put them in an even level there 50 50. Yeah, let's go 50 50. Yeah, okay. keep them both happy. Uh, well played. Nicely done. Thank Future you. in politics. Thank you. you. Uh, Jason Arundel, do you still race with the Russell Coit air freshener in the car? Remind me, what was what was that whole thing all about? Uh, there was really no reason to have that. I just found it on, uh, oh, it might have been Etsy or one of those, you know, like. <laughs> I thought there was like this brilliant story behind all this, but nah, you just saw it and thought I, it was cool thought, and stuck it in your that's car. that's cool. And I, I stuck it in my car for Bathurst 2018 and, and I think Chad or one of the producers, um, cameraman came in and I was like oh, get a look at this so he filmed it and yeah Russell Coit was running around and actually made the, co- the cockpit smell a bit nicer too <laughs> and uh, we had another thing on the car we had a big chungus which well, was what like was a, the chungus <laughs> thing I've just remembered this what was it this was like? like a fat bugs bunny and uh, I don't know it became a meme and and uh, AVL I got him onto it and he called it big chungus and I was like he's from Perth he's you, a bit you different. gotta say it right but yeah. no to answer your question, um, there is, that was Jason. Mm. There is no Russell Coit in the car purely because I tried to get one and they were all sold out. And David Russell was not happy. No. Because he's been called Coity by his various teams over the years. Andrew Cook, when did you start to learn piano and how far did you go with it or want to go with it? I think I started piano around about the start of when I started go-karting, I think it was about six or seven. And when I first started, I actually didn't do it for very long. didn't really like it. Uh, and then I sort of put it on pause or stopped for about a few years. And then I think when I was maybe 10, I got back into it. And then I did... Long retirement from long eight retirement. to nine. I know, or it's eight to 10, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I actually did it, like did lessons, did exams. I got up to sixth grade classical piano and that was I think that was about 20 or 2012 maybe 
when I was 16 or 17 and that's when I thought, you know, I want to just focus on the racing and I still play it from time to time as a bit of fun and it's good to do something else. You know, there's not, I can't imagine there's many drivers, well, I don't know how many drivers play piano, but we had a Castrol National Conference last year and it was up in uh, in the Gold Coast and uh, actually it was about 100 Castrol employees and I was there playing the piano in my race suit, my helmet, and everyone's thinking, oh, it's just someone they've hired and I literally pulled the helmet off and they were just like, <laughs> actually you. oh my God, it's actually our driver. So it's it's been cool uh, in, in, in that sort of way, but it's nice to do that and use your hands in you know in your brain it's like hand-eye coordination mm. practice so it's um and it's, it's cool you can really learn anything and i think a lot of people probably don't who don't follow it or don't understand it it's a foot talent as well Absolutely. it's not just you see this you, you see the you know hands on the keys but it's actually there's you know in race driving land you've got pedals foot, it's you actually and, got three pedals yeah, yeah they're yeah. not throttle brake or clutch one of them is a sustain pedal and i think another one's a dampener but i'd say one of the coolest and craziest piano experiences i've had was Every year at Bathurst, they do the Friday Night Live. Oh, they bowled you out, didn't they? 2019, I was playing live to national TV in the pit lane and, uh, yeah, I was playing a piano. So that was pretty crazy. What you, it's one of those things where people go, if you're standing near a piano, they go, go on, play or something. What's your go-to? What do you, what do you we go, oh, right, if I have to? Um, what do you bowl out with? Well, for release, I can play for release. I like... Angus and Julia Stone, big jet plane. I can I can roll that out whenever. That's your go-to. That's my go-to, yeah. So, um, yeah, I learned We Are The Champions. I probably need to dust up on that. But I played for release and We Are The Champions in the pit lane. And what was cool was when I was playing We Are The Champions, the crowd started singing and that was such a cool experience. <laughs> you are the only man in supercars who's ever done that and probably will ever do that. So there you go. There you, there you go. go. But that's, I think that's a great way to round out the pod. We've covered a fair bit of ground in a fair bit of time. Um, thanks for taking the time to, to sit down and go through what has been a hell of a journey so far. But the thing is there are lots of chapters to be written in this Thomas Randall racing book for a long way to come. So good luck for 2023. And I'm sure in a few years' time we can add a few more stories to this uh, first sit-down chat and there's going to be plenty more to come. So thanks for the time. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Thomas Randall, a great two-part chat with a coming man in the Supercars Championship. One hell of a story for a guy so young. He's had plenty of life experience, that's for sure. A big thanks to Tommy for coming in too and spending some time with us here at Sloop Headquarters. Uh, before I go, make the Castro Motorsport News podcast part of your weekly motorsport listening habits every Tuesday with ABL and Stefan for the latest motorsport insights and analysis, keeping the motorsport news name alive in a new Now, I'll see you in Newcastle this weekend, opening round of the Repco Supercars Championship, uh, the thrifty Newcastle 500. What are we going to get there? I have no idea. That's the beauty of it all. Uh, I'll be back next Wednesday for another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast. In the meantime, if you're in Newcastle, come up and say g'day. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you again next week. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil, and find out.